You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast. Uh, Joining you from Richmond, Virginia, my name is Ryan McGee. And with me, as always, our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, we are recording this during the World Curling Federation's General Assembly, where where they're voting on stuff. We should have been live streaming it. There's nothing more exciting than a curling board meeting, Ryan. Let me tell you. You know, I see a I see a bunch of these YouTubers getting a lot of hits where they're just live streaming them watching like a Premier League soccer match or where them watching an NFL football game on Twitch or whatever. And, you know, they get views. So maybe we should start a Twitch channel and people can watch us watch board meetings. Yeah, we, we'll charge money for that. RATP yes. premium. <laughs> join join our patreon to watch us watch board meetings I, it's, it's gonna be great it's quality content for sure yes um we have uh we have a really cool guest today i have to say jonathan this was one of the more enjoyable interviews that we've done we uh we talked to harold woods from Team Nigeria. He learned to curl at Denver Curling Club in the United States. He now lives in Atlanta and curls out of Peachtree Curling Association. And he is the skip for Team Nigeria. He skipped them at the pack last year and played at World Mixed, where you met him in Scotland. And unfortunately, this year he's not going to get to participate in either of these events and we we talked to him before this vote happened and we kind of speculated on what was going to happen and we can tell you um the part that you'll hear us talk about the the upcoming pacific asia curling cha- uh, championships that 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 actually did get canceled so unfortunate but um a an amazing conversation with with harold about a, a wide-ranging um assortment of topics yeah no i think we should just touch on the cancellations briefly. Um, I mean, I think it's a really big deal for uh, a lot of associations. A lot of associations are affected by this. So, yes, um, you know, USA Curling and Scottish Curling had teams in the B pool, in the junior B pool this year. Um, I'm not, I haven't like kind of looked at the, what the impact is in terms of how they're going to apply the, the rules. They may, they may still, the U.S. might still be able to get back in, at least on the men's side. Um uh, lots of associations like Nigeria, a lot of these developing countries will probably have no international curling this year with the possible exception of mixed doubles. Um, so we're, we're starting to look at uh, a completely lost season. I, I don't think it's definite yet. I think there's still kind of very much an open conversation about that. Our friends from Game of Stones, their episode last week uh, broke down a lot of the ramifications in great detail. So go give them a listen. But uh, I do think that, you know, a lot of curling focuses on the kind of like the pros, if you will. And, but there's a lot of other curlers that are competitive that have dreams and aspirations. And um, this is basically now a lost season for them before the season even really starts. 
I think that they're being a little overly optimistic, thinking that we're going to get Worlds in in March. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of worried about what the fall and into the winter, at least here, well, winter here in the Northern Hemisphere will bring as far as an increased number of cases. So I, I'll, I'm cautiously optimistic about getting Worlds in in March on the, the tail end of the traditional cold and flu season in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, we'll we'll see how that goes, um, but I'm not I'm I'm not overly optimistic about that happening. I think the more likely scenario is you see worlds get moved to to early fall of next year, like basically twelve months from now. We're in early September. This is about when I think worlds will happen next year in 2021. Maybe I don't. I think it's all. I've stopped making predictions about anything. <laughs> with this with this lockdown um i i think you're i think there's there's a realm of possibility where in the spring if an event's kind of well run it might be possible to pull it off i think the issue is unlike in other professional sports that have kind of come back like hockey uh basketball baseball uh, I don't think international curling has the financial resources to run a bubble. It's really expensive, to be honest, because I, I, the, the event that I'm directly affected by is the World Junior B being canceled. Yeah. And um, I, I was spending a lot of time thinking if it would be possible, and I honestly don't think it would have been possible to run that event with social distancing. So basically, it's a giant like summer camp kind of place, right? Where it's the, the cafeteria is entirely a buffet system, and we know buffets are just not on in the era of COVID. Um, you do have your own room, but it's often four people to a room. Um, and I've been there, you know, five times and twice I've picked up some kind of winter flu or cold or something like, like disease viruses just tear through that place over the course of over the week to 10 days. So um, I think it's the right thing to do is prudent. I, I'm not sure. Um, if curling can pull off a bubble and if they can't, I don't think there's going to be any curling this season. Unless, like you said, unless, unless there's some kind of breakthrough on the vaccine front, I, I can't see it happening basically. Yeah. Your main issue is travel. And if you're going to go anywhere, even to participate in a bubble, you're looking at two weeks of quarantine and only the top teams can do that. Now, are there, are are all of the teams that they've selected and they, they kind they put out what the fields would be for the, the hypothetical world championships that are going to happen here in March. I would say most of, if not all of those teams have enough funding and backing from their uh, national governing body that they could quarantine for two weeks, play worlds and quarantine, basically take a month off from, from everything else, especially since, their national governing bodies really aren't spending any money right now. They're not, they're not making any money, but it's not like they're spending money to send teams around the world right now. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I think that's, that's a big question. I think part of it's, can the teams afford it? Part of it's, can the associations afford it? it it's possible to, to do a bubble. Um, it's a finite number of people. I think, I think definitely just kind of from work at the university, the testing regimes are getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like our universities, it's been in the news this week. They're able to offer twenty thousand tests per day on campus. So, um, you know, uh, certainly then if you're only talking about a couple hundred for a curling association event, uh, tests you need to do. But the question is, um, you know, 
is that it, what are the extra costs added to that? And what do they do in terms of the, the security of the facility to make sure people aren't going in or out, right? So um, certainly the bubble option we've seen in other sports is possible. I just think it's kind of probably out of the financial reach of, of an association like the WCF. So what does this cancellation do for your team, Jonathan? Does, was this the last year for, for some of your kids on, on your English junior team that was going to head to World Junior Bs in Kisicalio? No, I mean, I think... So they all have one more year after this. Okay. So, because they've been getting better and better every year, they've been getting closer and closer to qualifying for for the the World A juniors, basically. Um, so, just I'm disappointed for them because I've I've been able through you, I've been able to talk to them. So disappointed for those guys. So it sounds like they're going to have one more kick at the can, I guess. They have one more kick at the can. I th- I worry, like. Like they're they're kind of in that kind of age zone that I call the winning zone. Like when you're 19, 20 in juniors, that's really when those are the seasons where you try to put it all together and, and kind of go as you know as far as you can, right? Like like that's the so they, they've kind of been deprived of one season of that. I think they're, we've signed up for a bunch of junior bond spiels in Britain. Um, there's we're still kind of in the the holding pattern even for those. So I think I think the biggest issue here is is lost opportunity to, to, to get better, to play against good level competition and lost opportunity to improve. Um, I think those are the, for that, for that team specifically, that's kind of the, the downside of it as well as, as well as kind of, if you have two opportunities to get to world days to, to have it cut in half is pretty harsh. Yeah. I, I think more at the junior kind of club level, I do worry about the hit it's going to have on junior curling that if you can't, curl this season or curling's a less fun experience or if it's, you know, all of that. Um, people may just wander off and do other things that you can do in pandemic mm-hmm. circumstance and pick up different interests. So I, there's, there's probably going to be a hit globally, I think, to junior curling too. Yeah, and, and across the board, you have juniors all over the world basically losing a year of development. Yeah, and I think that's, that's not trivial, right? I think that's, you, you know, I... To be honest, probably for me, that my biggest growth as a curler in terms of skill acquisition was between 17 and probably 22, 23. Um, so to to lose a season in that kind of learning zone area or improvement zone, if you will, is is harsh. So it's it's definitely a blow to them, but it's it it affects everyone equally. So it's just mm-hmm. just unfortunately bad luck. And I think you know across the board, the pandemic's just kind of brought bad luck in all different kinds of areas of life. Uh, we are still waiting word from World Curling on if the America's Zone Championship is going to merge with the, the Pacific Asia Championship. And we we talked we talked to Harold about that pretty extensively as far as whether he'd be for it or against it. Um, you know, with the, the, the Pacific Asia Championship it's it's the it's the event that's really growing. You've seen the America's Challenge grow a little bit. It's still you, you still have only had five nations in total that have that have participated in that event. But we have seen um, pretty incredible growth at the Pacific Asia Championship uh, here in the last few years, including uh, Team Nigeria, which was scheduled to send. Uh, both a men's team and a women's team for the first time to that championship. What does this do for for emerging nations that are trying to increase their funding and get get more experience uh, at in in a championship environment like this? 
I mean, I think the same thing. I think it's it's hard to raise funds if you don't have results to point at. So a year without that can be difficult from a fundraising perspective. Um, I think it's the only way these kind of emerging nations are going to get better is uh, through kind of international competitive experience and through building facilities. So we talk a lot with Harold about the plans to build a facility in Nigeria. And I think that for their association would be a real game changer. Um, So it's probably harder for them to even fundraise for that facility. And it's also going to be difficult for those teams if they're kind of missing out a year of, of competitive experience. All right, so let's get into our conversation with Harold. Uh, we will we will talk a lot about how he got into curling, um, where he sees curling going uh, for for Nigeria and for Africa as a continent. He's he he has some very high hopes for for both of those things, uh, and it sounds like they're on the right track to accomplishing all those goals. So let's talk to Harold right now. So how are you doing, Harold? I'm doing all right. It's you know, it's hot here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, you know, but it, it, we're on the cusp of, uh, starting up curling season. I just, uh, you know, just put down my club fees for a uh, peace tree curling association. So I'm looking forward to starting up pretty soon. So is peach tree, is that an arena club or is it dedicated ice? Peach tree curling association is dedicated ice. Uh, it's the only dedicated ice in the state of Georgia. Uh, yeah. So it, yeah. it's, it's three sheet club it's it's really nice i love the people there they they've treated me really well since moving here last year oh cool yeah i know there's i know there's a story on how atlanta curling club and peachtree curling club kind of came to be but uh we'll leave we'll leave the politics we'll leave the curling politics out of this one um i don't know i'm I'm the new guy for both that's right i I, 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 you know i curl out of you know i'd say i curl out of peachtree um, they were the dedicated ice facility, yeah. you know, coming from Denver, you know, they have the, uh, a dedicated ice facility there with the Denver curling club. So, you know, I went to more dedicated ice, but, uh, you know, I've, I've went and played with Atlanta curling club and they're both nice groups. So, you know, yeah. I enjoy the people and all the people in both of the clubs. Yeah, I know. I, I was almost able to go to the spiel they had last year's i think it was like the the peach tree the the one that they call peach tree whatever that which whichever bond spiel that was but i wasn't able to make it but it's one on my list because i've heard that it's just a really fun place to go play oh yeah it's a good place to play i i enjoy you know i enjoy peach tree a lot yeah um so I started listening to this one podcast lately, and they ask uh, every guest they have on, they ask the same question to begin with, and I love it because it kind of just starts everything off right. Can you can you just tell everybody where you're from and what was it like growing up there? Um, uh, I'm originally from. I was born in Denver, Colorado, um, but I grew up you know a bunch of different places. I lived in Florida for a little while as a kid then i moved to south carolina and back and forth a bunch between uh south carolina and uh, colorado but growing up you know we had our shares of struggles and whatnot but um you know i had a great childhood you know i had a lot of fond memories of you know we did a lot of road trips as kids you know that was something that uh that both my um, mom and dad uh you know wanted to do with us so we always uh you know, I, we we drove just about everywhere, you know, 
I'm proud to say, you know, of the 50 states, I think I've been to about 45. So I've just got to get the last few in. And, you know, since, you know, with joining the, uh, the Nigerian Curling Federation, I'm starting to get stamps in my passport now. So I got to start getting the number of countries that I've been to higher and higher. Which, uh, which states are you missing? I'm missing Alaska, Hawaii, Washington, Oregon, and North Dakota. Oh, man. You're, I, Washington and Oregon might be my two favorites that, that I've been to. It's just, it's, if you go in the summer, it's absolutely perfect. What the, do you have a favorite trip that you had? Uh, or a favorite state? Favorite state's always going to be the home state, Colorado. Uh, All right. But like my, uh, it's just so many different memories from different trips, you know, going and going and seeing the different scenery. Um, you know, I, I, I was actually talking with my sister about this last night. We um, were talking about beautiful places that we've been. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, one time I was in, on a trip with uh, my job at the time. Um, and I had some free time. So I drove from, I was in Salt Lake city and I drove to the Nevada border and you cross the Bonneville salt flats. Oh yeah. It's, it, you know, you see the, the, the pictures on there where it's just like the sky, you can't really tell where it, uh, it changes over because the salt reflects the, um, the sky. And it was just like that, driving across that. And then well, the next day I drove up to Idaho and that's rolling hills and mountains. And it's just beautiful, different places that we, you know, we've gone. And it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful that I've been able to see so many different things. And I'm looking forward to seeing so much more, you know, within the coming years ahead. You weren't, uh, you weren't tempted to take an exit and see how fast you could get your car up to on the salt flats, were you? <laughs> no, because I was in a rental car. <laughs> <laughs> hey, as long as you pay for the good insurance on it, man, oh, you're good. Absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, like, another interesting thing, like, when you're driving, you know, obviously there's no guardrails, so you see every now and then tire tracks of people going off the road and doing donuts and whatnot and then coming but pulling back onto the interstate and and keep on going (laughs) so uh did did you play a lot of sports growing up and then how how did you get into curling i did play a lot of sports uh growing up um i played a little bit of everything except for basketball I i just never was good at basketball but um played baseball a lot um I played American football in uh, in in high school and in some in college. Um, the longest tenured sport that I actually did have was uh, soccer, football, real football. Um, <laughs> you know, since I am curling on an international level now, you know that's the primary sport. But I think that you know, if I if I would have stuck to it, I think I could have gone a long way. Uh, you know, with soccer, you know, I played um, goalkeeper and I was a pretty, I was a pretty good goalkeeper if I say myself myself. All right. So what, how did, so how'd you get into curling then? Um, so the first time I saw curling was in two, the, was the 2010 Olympics. 
Yeah, that would have been Vancouver. Was, yeah, I saw. I was sitting in my dorm room, and I was just watching the Olympics. Cause I mean, why not? It's the Olympics, and I saw it, and I was like, "What are these people doing?" And you know, I was like, "It's sweeping and whatnot," and I was like. I'm a college football player. You know, I have to work out <laughs> every day for this. It's like, I just don't feel like there's anyone out there who's stronger than me or whatever the case may be. I was like, I know I can do this. So fast forward like eight, nine years. Uh, my job had a, uh, a team building event up in Minnesota. And it was curling. And I was like, this is my time. I, I know I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I did uh I did really well there. And I was like, and I caught the bug there, and then I came back to Denver and I used to drive by the Denver curling club every day for work. And I said, I gotta find a way to get in there. So I followed them on Facebook and they said that they were uh having an open house. And I was like, definitely gonna go. So I um so I went to the open house the first day. The first day was on a Saturday. I had two days, Saturday and Sunday. And that Saturday, I believe it snowed like 18 inches. So most of the roads are shut down. No one's really going anywhere. And I think maybe, maybe 15, 20 people showed up for the open house, you know, that were new. So, you know, it was supposed to be an all-day thing. You, you know, they initially prepared for a lot more people to come, but because of the snow, not that many people showed up. So I was able to get a lot more time on the ice learning from, uh, you know, the, the, the coaches at that point in time. And, uh, you know, they were signing new curlers up for the, uh, the mini leagues, the five, six week mini leagues. And then what I didn't know at the time is that the coaches were eyeing, certain new curlers to recruit them to the advanced learner leagues. Hmm. So I got selected to be in the advanced learner league. And so I had the mini leagues and the advanced learner leagues and my team, I got, you know, thrown into skipping there and both my, I won both of those uh, mini leagues, you know, I got so that that's that was how the start of it, you know. I was just wanting to find how to get into it, and I stuck to it till I got there. What what was it that kind of made it stick? Like for me, it was the the social aspect of it. But was it was there a certain and also the fact that like like you, like the first two learner leagues I did, my team wound up winning, and it was like, hey, now this is this is pretty good. Like what what was it that kind of you know, like you said, you caught the bug. What was it that really stuck for you? I think it was, you know, some of the social aspects, you know, for the most part, uh, I'm probably, uh, John probably couldn't tell at mixed, but I'm, I'm, I consider myself a quiet guy. And, um, but, you know, it was nice to have a small group of people that I could talk to, but it was also like the strategy and how, precise you have to be within the game and you know just knowing that yeah you're good but you tweak something here you tweak something there and you can become so much better and you know 
just learning from, you know, the, the people that are around the club and whatnot, just picking, you know, various uh, other players' brains and, you know, adding on to, you know, what their style was to adding it on to what mine was and um, making it all work. So, you know, you develop your own comfort. You know, you know, when I teach at Peachtree to uh, teach the learner curls there, I say, you know, it's a very comfort based sport. You know, you have to find your own way in a sense to where you're comfortable, to where it feels right for you, then you work hard at mastering. Yeah, I saw you've got a little bit of tuck to your delivery. Who on earth from Manitoba was at the Denver club that taught you that? (laughs) So that came from a little bit of watching TV and saying, let me see. But how it really came about was I have a problem throwing guards. Okay. <laughs> so does Jonathan, but that's okay. If I throw a guard, it's going to end up in, you know, it, it might end up in the forefoot. So <laughs> I just initially kind of changed my slide a little bit to tuck my foot under me just to make me more focused on my balance and hold on to the stone just a little bit longer onto, uh, to slow the stone down just a little bit so I could actually throw a guard. So like if, uh, you know, someone called and said, Hey, and you throw your guard, then, you know, the whole, the whole, you know, routine for getting in the hack and everything, uh, changed. Hmm. And eventually it became more of a consistent slide when I went to mixed and, um, I, cr- I have, I, you know, I know it's called the Manitoba tuck now, but I have to credit the uh, the skip from Team Japan. I can't remember his name, but I remember watching him in warm ups one day. I was like, "Wow, that guy has the most beautiful slide I've mm. ever seen!" And I was like, "I'm that's totally gonna be. I'm gonna try to mimic that slide, and that's gonna be my slide kick out every time now." And I tried to do it a couple of times while they're at mixed and uh, <laughs> I got in coach. I got in trouble with my coach, coach Gumley. She's like, yeah, you need to go with your regular slide. Cause that's what you know. You can't be switching out. You know, you got to be consistent <laughs> with what you're doing. I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. So I followed her rule and, you know, I followed her, uh, you know, her guidance, you know, for the rest of mixed. But as soon as I got home, I was like, yep, we're just going to work on this from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so how did you end up on the nigerian curling team then uh how, how did you go from denver curling club to playing for team nigeria so that was just a uh it was interesting because uh the uh technical training director that we all know tj cole um he curls out of Denver Curling Club, and he saw me there, and he's like, "Hey, do you, you know?" He asked me, "Do you want to play internationally?" Uh, and granted, you know, I was trying to, you know, I was still early on, and I thought he was just going to ask me for, you know, if I wanted to go up to Canada, 
and you know play in a weekend tournament up there and he's like no i'm the technical director for the nigerian curling federation i was like oh well uh <laughs> you, know, I, you know the plan was always you know in my mind it was like the plans always go to the olympics you know this this gives me the way to do so you know and you know from you know me having family members who were in nigeria like i don't know if he researched me and found that out or whatnot <laughs> but uh you know, that's how it came about. He asked me if I wanted to play and everything just kind of the stars just kind of aligned for it to all to happen. So what's the history with the Nigerian Curling Federation? Cause it's, it's a newer association, obviously. I think you guys have been around since 2018, right? Yeah. And um, you and so the associations, the, I think it's the first African association in the WCF also. Is that right or? Yes, we were the first um, fully recognized, voted in um, member association to the WCF from Africa. Okay, and so how did it get started? And there's a lot of, I mean, we follow them on social media, and it looks like they're also planning to build a curling rink in Africa. And so it's not just like a paper association. It looks like it's got very serious ambitions as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the founding story um, is amazing. Um, the, um, so the federation president, uh, Daniel DeMola, he, uh, he lives in Germany and his daughter took him to a curling match there in Germany. And she suggested to him, Hey, we should start a Nigerian curling federation and, you know, bring the sport to Africa. And he got on board with it because he was already president of the uh, the Nigerian Strongman Association and whatnot. And how TJ got involved, he was looking for uh, an association through his, you know, his his roots. Um, his father being from Nigeria, uh, Nigeria. His father, paternal grandfather, is from Nigeria. And his mother was from Morocco. So he was going to go to Morocco first. But when he went to Morocco, there was no, no real response. But so when he looked up the Nigerian Curling Federation, he got in, got in contact with the Ministry of Sports. He's like, oh, yeah, we already have a guy here. His name's Daniel. And they, they got together. And that's how it kind of took off from there. Oh, wow. And so this would have been 2018 then or a bit before that? I think a little bit before that, you know, I came on in, you know, late 2018, 2019, right in that, right in that time frame was when I got uh, asked to play and whatnot. Okay. And so, so your team then, so you, you play on two teams for Nigeria, right? So you're playing, you're the, you're now the skip of the mixed team, right? Uh, so you play the mixed team and then you also play on the men's team. So the men's team plays in the Pacific Asia curling championship. Yes. And the, the mix plays in the world mix. And that's where we met. So how do you then train? Is your team from all over? Is it mostly U.S.-based? Um, do you have international players? Is it international in the sense of beyond the U.S. also? or So our primary team, I won't say our primary team, the uh, mixed doubles team is TJ and Susie. They, uh, they're married, so they have the privilege of spending all the time together. <laughs> But um, 
the men's team consists of me, uh, Fabian, TJ, and uh, one other guy, uh, Chris. Chris wasn't a. Uh, Chris is also. We're all U.S. based. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had some issues last year with uh, some visas and whatnot uh, getting to uh, getting to China. So that's why we played three handed at the pack but we're all u.s based but we do have a program of you know floor curlers that we want to get to train on ice instead of you know floor curling you know you can only learn so much with the floor curling that is you know that that we have and but we um this year all things if they all go well we'll have a women's team at the uh, at the pack this year, which I'm looking forward to, and that'll be that'll feature some of the home base curlers in uh, in from Nigeria. Oh wow! Oh, wow! Wow! So what, what's the logistics like for for your team? How often are you guys able to play together, and uh, what how difficult is it for you guys to fundraise to be able to to travel? So most of the we're basically self-funded as of right now, which, you know, it, it does present its challenges and whatnot, um, you know, in terms of like training together. Um, you know, it's been hard because, you know, I'm, you know, all of us were basically in Denver, uh, but I had some uh, some of uh, life events that called me to, you know, to move to Atlanta and whatnot. So, um, you know, it's difficult, but, you know, I know that TJ and Susie have been working hard and, and Fabian have been working hard out of in Denver and they know I've been working hard here with that, with Peachtree Curling Association. Um, you know, last year they gave me a kind of a sponsorship or whatnot. You know, I wore their pin anytime I was in a, a tournament and, you know, they let me, you know, teach and they gave me access to the ice whenever I could train and get over to that side of town. Um, so, you know, it's just a lot of the individual training. Um, you know, I talk to all of them on a pretty regular basis, you know, to know what they're working on and just get a, a, a mental thought process for it. So, you know, what they're working on to be comfortable and what i want to call you know as a skip because you know skips and vices always have you know there's always a disagreement yes <laughs> always a disagreement <laughs> and you know me and tj we have had our fair share of disagreements and um but uh you know we all work through it and uh you know, we, we, we just try to make sure that our levels of communications and everything that we want to get done for the team, you know, works. So, you know, we have, um, you know, another tournament coming up soon uh, in September. I'm literally looking forward to it, you know, just being able to get out and travel a little bit because, you know, the virus is, has put the world on hold right now. And it's it's so frustrating right now. But. So, so the Nigerian Curling Federation also is talking about trying to build a facility, uh, I guess it would be the first one in Africa. So how are the plans going for that? Where, where is it going to be? Like how far along the road are they in terms of, of building it or funding it or planning it out? 
So right now it's going into Calabar Cross River State in Nigeria. It is uh, we've started clearing the land and building the uh, the wall and fencing for the property. So you know we already have the blueprints and plans in place. So it's just you know every time we get a little bit of extra money, we we throw it that way because like I say, we're all self funded. We're we're trying to get sponsors on board to to help us with the cost of it because i mean it it it's not just a curling facility we'll be looking to you know have you know we have you know dedicated you want to have at least five six sheets of i uh six sheets of curling ice so you know we can hold events there but we also want to be able to be the capital of ice sports for africa so we can have you know another rink for short track, speed skating, hockey, figure skating, and all the other sports that go along with, you know, needing ice. And, you know, with us being the first, with it be, becoming, coming to fruition eventually and becoming the capital of ice sports in Africa, you know, I know that, you know, when other federations are formed and come about you know they'll come to our facility to train mm. so is it, it's going to be multi-sheet then is the idea or is it going to be one sheet of ice that's that's multi-use oh this two sheet i mean two sheets of ice you know you you don't want to have the, the the struggles that come along with playing on arena ice yeah uh, so <laughs> yeah yeah, the hockey players and the and the and the speed skaters, the short track skaters, and the figure skaters all over there doing their doing their thing. We'll have our dedicated curling ice, so we can we don't have to worry about the problems that they have over there. Because you know, ice can be very finicky. You know, if you, if you, if you shave it or, or you scrape it wrong wrong one time, you know, it takes three, four different times to get it back to where it should be, if not even more. Mm. I, I love the ambition. So is it is there is there funding coming from the Ministry of Sport? Is there funding coming from some of the other um, some of the other sports that would also benefit from from having a facility like this? Or is it mainly coming from from private private donations and private sponsorship? It's, you know, private donations and, you know, just us in the Federation, mm. you know, you know, we, we're, we're all right now self-funded. It's hard, but, you know, it's not impossible. You know, there, there's a saying, if you, if, you know, difficult takes a little while, you know, impossible takes a little while longer than that. I'm, I'm pretty sure I messed that saying. <laughs> <laughs> but we know, you know, it's hard, but in the end, it'll be worth it. And it'll be, it'll be something amazing that that we'll all be able to say that, you know, we put in and, and we helped and we, we did it, you know, mm. something that, you know, 20 years ago would have been thought of as just absolutely ludicrous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, and then the other, the, the other big ambition obviously is to get, a team into the Olympics and obviously there's there's more you know it's not just men's and women's but mixed doubles being in the Olympics now I think makes that doable for for every country in the world um, and so in terms of 
trying to get to that level, you know, you've gone out, you've played it, you've played at the pack, you've played at the mixed. Nigeria sent teams to mixed doubles. What what were your impressions playing in those events, and how did it compare to, you know, to your league night, and when, what was it like to 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 represent your represent a country there internationally? So, going from club play and like competitive club play in in Denver and at Peachtree Curling Association, you know, I'm pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, I, I feel, you know, I, I grade myself very harshly, you know, on a, on a zero to a hundred scale. Um, you know, if I, if I shoot a, you know, in my, on my mind, what I feel like is a, a 65 or, you know, a 70, you know, I'm pretty sure I can win. Hmm. And Denver's nothing to sneeze at. They've got some good curlers. Daryl Sobern's yeah. a really good curler oh, out of yeah. Denver. He's a great guy too. <laughs> Daryl, um, Lance, they're they're great, great people there. Um, I need to give them a call. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know. You, you're really, uh, you know, I, I'm, I was able to hold my own against them. And then, you know, going to, you know, going to my first experience with international play um, with the world mixed was just like a completely different level. And, you know, the two games that really stick out to me were when we had to play, we had a doubleheader and we had to play in the morning. We had to play Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, our coach told us is like, look, this is going to be rough. Um, but it's going to be the Canada. Day. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I, I know the score was a lot to a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> It was interesting in how they played us. I mean, they used it for practice. So they were taking different shots and they weren't running. They were, you know, it was a lot to a little bit, but they didn't, it didn't feel like they were running the score up on us and, you know, beating mm-hmm. us mercilessly. Uh, granted, I got a, you know, that was my last game as uh, playing second and mixed. And I, I got ahead of my, I don't want to say I got ahead of myself, but I asked to skip. He was throwing the last stone. And I was like, well, you guys haven't thrown anything crazy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I want to see you at least throw one shot that says, <laughs> we're Canada. <laughs> <laughs> easily looked, he looked at Stones and he was like, all right, I'm going to throw this double angle raise to the house. And I was like, oh, there's no way you can make that. And <laughs> he throws it perfect. It's like, Okay, this is this is what I have to aspire to to be able to look at this, not only just to look at it, but to see it and have the confidence to throw it and know that I can make it. Mm. And uh, you know, it was a friendly game and whatnot. And then that afternoon, I got the nod to be the skip, and we had to play against Germany, the other finalist. So, I, little did I know, you know, Canada was, they were a younger team, but they were still yeah. very good. 
obviously they won. You didn't but, know who uh, Germany Skip was, did you? I did not. <laughs> you found <laughs> out later. Yeah. I found out. <laughs> and it was it was amazing to me. Um, you know, I, I sat and talked with him a little bit, you know, as, as I was skipping, as he was already destroying us. <laughs> and uh, it came about that he's, at that point, he played 334 international games. And I was sitting here thinking to myself, 334 games. Oh, I was, I'm sitting there doing the math for how many total games I've played, you know, club, <laughs> mini league, everything else. And now it's like, all right, well, let me put that across to the rest of my team. This guy's played more international games than, than my whole team has played games in general combined. <laughs> so, you know, and granted, this is, you know, he's Andy Cap is Andy Cap, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll sit there thinking to myself, it's like, I can't get shut out. I can't get shut out. I just got to get one end. So at one point, I, I missed, I missed the draw and they took the end. And like for another end, I had to, angle takeout into in into the house to get to one and I got the one and it was felt like the greatest moment of my life and I was like ah I scored a point gets <laughs> 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 this guy he scored a million you know he played 334 some odd games and I like I like the next day I asked him I was like well how many games do you think you played overall he's like oh probably around two three thousand I was like that's just nuts Mm. But, you know, that game went a lot different. Um, you know, it was still a lot to a little mm -hmm. bit. I think that final score ended up being like 23 to 1. But, uh, you know, it was a learning experience to, you know, to be able to play on that level. And, and you know, our coach tells us, like, you know, if you play in the clubs, you know, you can make a mistake and it may not show up on the scoreboard. But when you play – against some teams on the international level, if you are, you know, centimeters off, if you're millimeters off of where your shot is supposed to be, it will show up on the scoreboard every single time. You know, that's the things that I had to keep in mind playing against, you know, the Japan, you know, going to the pack, playing against the Japans, the Koreas, the, uh, you know, the Australians of the world, you know. And the other super competitive teams that, you know, mm -hmm. all of us on Team Nigeria have day jobs, you know, all of us work and, you know, curling is in our, you know, yeah, we wake up and we think about curling all the time. I can call, you know, TJ and ask him about anything and he'll answer, you know, I can call anybody on the team and ask them and they'll answer. But, you know, TJ's a principal, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it, I, I would love to get to a place where I wake up in the morning, I go to the sheet, uh, you know, go to a sheet of ice, throw stones for four hours, go run, go work out, get something to eat, come back, throw stones for another four hours, come home, 
eat dinner, go to sleep and do it all again the next day. You know, I would love to get to that point. But it's just working to a place to where I can get there, you know, and, and with the if we when we get the ice facility completed, I feel like I'll be able to do that. Hmm. And that that that's an important goal for me to be able to get there and, and, and be able to do that. And I love that mentality so much because one one of the things you see with new nations entering curling and going to world mix, going to mixed doubles, and you do see lopsided scoreboards and every and I, I I see people, most of them Canadian, saying, "Well, what's the point of this if the scoreboards are going to be this lopsided?" And it's it's that mentality right there that everyone has to start somewhere, and you learn something from every rock you throw. And I I love that that's the attitude that that you guys have. Absolutely. And, you know, that was, you know, it, it, it got, there, there are times I get frustrated, you know, there, mm-hmm. there, there, there's a certain game from world mix that I think about every single day that I know we could have won if we just did a couple of little things different. And, you know, there's a game from, uh, the pack, the first game we played at the pack, we won more ends. They just won bigger ends. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, in, in, you know, that those two games have both been really heartbreaking for me. Cause it's, it's like, you know, if we, if, if, if it wasn't for this one mistake or if it wasn't for this one thing, or if just had one thing different here or there, you know, it, it, it changes everything around, but also even in those moments, you know, playing against Kazakhstan and winning more ends, um, it gave me a sense of, okay, I can, be- I belong here. You know, I'm, I'm not just, you know, like a gimmick per se. I belong here. I can play on this level. I can score points. I can do what I need to do. And you know, and one of the the things that really the biggest positive that I stuck that stuck with me um, from the pack when I was sitting there playing against team New Zealand and I'll, you know, and Scott, uh, Scott Becker, their skip, you know, he was giving me pointers, you know, he was, he was the most friendly skip there. there. He, he gave it, he's giving me pointers on how I should call things and, you know, Asking me, you know, sometimes, you know, why did you call this instead of this? And, you know, this is what I thought, you know, it's picking my brain, you know, to, to see what my thought process was, mm-hmm. you know, and whatnot. But he said, understand, it's really hard. This is your first year. This is your first men's competition. This is going to be hard for the first few years. Mm-hmm. Because everyone here knows what to expect you guys this is your first time here it's hard it's going to be hard next year it probably may be even hard you know hard the year after that but after that a light will turn on hmm. and you'll you you know maybe year two or three you guys get a win but when you get that win it'll it'll feel amazing you know and it, it's you know, for me, it was frustrating because, you know, I haven't got an international win yet. You know, TJ and Susie, got, they got a win at um, 
mixed doubles a couple of years ago, and I was like, I, I, I just want that on the international level. Mm. I, I know it's coming, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for it to happen, but, you know, I just can't think about I can't look at it in the manner of sense that a win is going to be given to me. I have to put the work in every day to get that win, whether it's, you know, watching curling on YouTube, working out, going and running, you know, doing my cross training activities, you know, and then once ice opens up, making sure that I put the time in on the ice to make sure that I can be the best that I can be. So what are you guys planning to do uh, as a team, like over the next couple of years to try to like, get better results internationally? Are you, are you working with a coach? Are, are you planning to play events on tour with your team? Um, yeah. Do you have like a practice plans or? <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're still working on putting all that together. You know, just like I say, we have the, uh, is it the U.S. Open contenders that's coming up in September for uh, the men's team. So we're looking forward to getting out on the ice and, and, and playing there. Uh, there'll be some practice, you know. I think we're going to probably spend some time down here in Atlanta, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, coming down here and having practicing all together as a team. And then, you know, with the, the homegrown curlers, finding a place to... Um, get them to ice so we can get them trained up and, you know, get them from, you know, the transition from floor curling to, to ice curling. Mm. So over the next few years, you know, it's just making sure we put all the plan together. And, you know, I know once the ice facility gets built in Calabar, it's everything's going to take off at light speed. You know, we'll be able to get there, practice for, you know, days and weeks on end, you know, the homegrown girls will have a place to practice all the time. And, you know, I, I know it'll take off at light speed at that point. Are you, um, so what, what do you think the biggest challenges the Federation's facing in terms of competing at the international level? Um, you know, it, it, it's just kind of like, uh, like Scott said, um, it's time, you know, it's, it's getting a little bit of getting more experience there and on the international stage, on the international level, you know, this is all new for all of us, you know, you know, granted I've been an athlete, you know, most of my life, but you know, this is still this whole international level of play is new to me you know the highest level i played you know before was you know college football you know but yeah, i played i still played it at a small division two school so you know there we weren't you know we weren't any been in college had a great a good football team and we were competitive in most of the games that we played but you know is smell it, it we weren't there like what you hear the university of alabama's or the clemson mm. university <laughs> university of michigan we weren't we were nowhere near on that level yeah but you know this this level of competition has been eye-opening to me and you know and even still for me it's it's 
it's a challenge that I welcome. You know, yeah. I, I want to be able to, as a skip, you know, set up stones to where, you know, the opposing team has to sit there and look at it and say, well, well, I want to do this, but I, I, I'm not sure if we should. You know, they have to take that extra moment to sit there and think about the shot they're, they're going to call and what they end up getting. And the I've heard the the guys from the All Pro curling team with Jared Allen and all those guys. I've heard them express kind of a similar sentiment where you know they're used to competition and they're used to being kind of at the top level. But the switching to curling, you know, they've 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 kind of realized pretty quick uh, how crazy it is once you get to that level. Oh, absolutely. As you know, you know, from playing, you know, being a a, a good club level player. You know, at both Denver and at Peachtree Curling Association, um, you know, going to the international level, it's it is just different. You know, mm. I remember watching the shot that um, that won the bronze medal at World Mixed. You know, it was like a double raise angle, and it was like. There's absolutely no way. And then you just see it coming up <laughs> like, oh, this is going to happen. Yeah, and, that was know, a crazy I, shot. <laughs> and I, I was sitting there, and I, you know, you know, and, and just being, it, it, it was such an experience there. And I, I could tell how much being at World Mixed helped me out for the pack and being able to watch other teams, you know, mm-hmm. I, one of the things that I took um, from World Mix was how Team Korea, when they call angle shots, he measures it with his broom. And he's like, mm. well, you know, he, he sits in points and measures it on each of the stones. And, you know, you have other teams that are fast and they just call, oh, I need here, 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 here. And, you know, they throw in, you know, they're, you know, only three seconds runs off the clock, you know, but they take a little bit more time to, to, to measure and make sure that the angle's right. And so, you know, that, that was helped me, you know, last year world mixed and pack were right back to back. So when I came back to the club, I got used to playing on a clock and then, you know, I'm going to, when I get back to the club, there's no clock. And it's like, hold on, I could sit down and look at this <laughs> and really think about it for a second. Mm. And, you know, it helped me with so much. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to learning even more, you know, with this upcoming season. Uh, as I said, I'm heartbroken that uh, World Mix got canceled. But so I'm hoping, against all hope, that the pack goes on this year because you know it's it, it's nice to see everybody in the social aspect, but it's also good to get that competition on the international level where you're playing against the best of the best of the best of the best to see where you measure up and you know how I want to be able to see how how I've improved with all of the training that I did you know over the summer. And also, you know, with the rest of the season that I had at Peachtree, you know, to see where, you know, where I've come. 
You mentioned that there's some homegrown curlers that are going to start competing soon. What's the reaction been in Nigeria to curling? I think I saw where you went to Lagos at some point to help with a floor curling clinic. And then how, how did that go? Um, that went amazing. It was, it uh, was, it went over, um, a lot better than I thought, you know, when I, when I went out there and we set the thing up, you know, it was out at uh, the national stadium and we figured maybe, you know, 45, 50 people show up Mm -hmm. and, you know, we teach them and we let them play the floor curling and whatnot. And probably about 150 people showed up, you know, just to, you know, triple your expectations. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a big interest in it. Um, cause it's new. It's, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's the same sense of wonder that I had watching it at, uh, the Vancouver Olympics, like what is going on? <laughs> and, you know, you had, the National Stadium is a very interesting place because they have, you know, the football pitch, the, uh, the tennis courts, basketball courts. You know, they have a couple of little areas where they uh, they practice Taekwondo and whatnot. So you have all these other sports going on and we're pulling people from their training to go see what we're doing. And that was amazing. And, you know, we've been able to set up some of the floor curling leagues and, you know, they'll, they'll message me. Anytime, you know, if they have disputes about scoring, Bill, <laughs> I get the call. Hey, 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 Harold, uh, hey, what's, what's the score of this here? <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's, it's been amazing. You know, I, I really see that it can pick up and take hold because curling as a sport is something that can be done by all ability levels you know if you not be able to get down in the slide you have stick you know be able to walk and use the stick you know and even going to um wheelchair curling and whatnot you know we had some of the um um some of the wheelchair people come out and you know they they became the wheelchair curlers and we want to look up look and start uh with uh wheelchair curling and you know being able to get them throwing stones on the ice and whatnot. I've heard you talk really passionately about how when you step on the ice, you know that you're representing Nigerians everywhere. You're representing the continent of Africa. And in fact, you're representing everyone in the diaspora. Can, can you tell us why, just you know, for, for people who maybe don't understand that, just talk about why that's so important. And you know, it's a unique situation that probably doesn't exist anywhere else in curling for you and your team. Uh, and it's something I think a lot of people in curling need to to learn about and understand. I mean, it's it's the first with being anything, you know. You know, even you know, in my travels here in the states, you know, amongst my friends and my following on Facebook and whatever the case may be in social media, they're blown away. It's like you're really doing this, you know. Like the first time I went. Uh, to uh, DCC for their open house. And that was like, oh, you know, it's, you, you're playing around. Then, you know, they saw, 
you know, I post the scores from the mini leagues and, you know, me doing well in the mini leagues and then, you know, getting on to like the full, you know, experience curler leagues and, you know, winning, you know, winning there, you know, coming in third place in, in you know, my first year uh, on both of my um, Friday and Saturday night leagues. You know, it was like, wow, you're really serious about this. This is like, why not? You know, I'm, I'm going to take this as far as I can go. And, you know, if it's just me being, you know, at that point in time, you know, yes, I want to go to the Olympics. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but, you know, I want to take this as far as I can go. And, you know, if it's just me being, you know, club curler, great. But, you know, any opportunity that's presented for me, I'm going to jump at. So, you know, and it's a lot of, you know, it's the feeling of, representing everyone else's dreams as well, you know, to be able to, you know, to have them live vicariously through me, you know, there's some, you know, you know, the faces I see that I get from my friends and whatnot, you know, just see, you know, some people it's the aspect of going across the world you know, going to China, going to, going to Scotland, going to Nigeria, you know, going to Japan this year. <laughs> hmm. um, it's, it's mind blowing. And, and, and it's representing and taking the first steps into something that, you know, is different. I believe I'm pretty sure the, the, stance is still true that there's been no African nation or even South, I mean, South American nation that has won a medal at the Winter Olympics. So, you know, yes, I would love to do that. I would love to be the first medal winner at the Olympics for Africa. Hmm. Just to prove that, not even proving the point, but, you know, that we're not just a summer Olympics continent, not just a country, but a continent that we can stand on our own and belong and be able to compete at an international level. I lost you. Yeah, Ryan, we can't hear you. You still there? Want me to go yeah, with it? Oh, you got it? Uh, how about oh, yeah. now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I saw you, you wear the beads when you curl. What are the, what are the significance of those? I mean, I'm sure they have some really important significance to you. So they are, um, a, res a representation of my faith. I practice IFA. Um, so it's like similar to, uh, a rosary or uh, someone wearing a star of David. Okay. And, you know, I think, for curling to be able to survive and to, to grow, it, it has to become more diverse. Uh, and I think now it, it's an important time for every community, whether we're talking globally, whether we're talking a city or town in the U.S. or just down to the micro level at a curling club to really take stock and take a hard look at how truly diverse and inclusive that, that community is. Um, the curling community 
obviously isn't very diverse, but it, it does like to pride itself on how welcoming and inclusive it is. Um, was that your experience when, when you started there in Denver? Yes, absolutely. Um, when I started in Denver, you know, I, I, granted, like I said, I'm a quiet guy. You know, I stick to myself um, most times. But, you know, my experiences there with uh, Steve Dickin and uh, Brian Brown and Daryl Sobering and Lance and everybody else there at, uh, at DCC, they, uh, they were extremely welcoming to me. You know, and, you know, I got pulled on to, you know, a team and that team did very well. You know, it's sometimes it's it, it, you know, it's 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 a cold sport. So, you know, sometimes, you know, getting diversity within cold sports and, uh, you know, you see the, in, the the, you know, the disparity in diversity within hockey or whatnot, whatever the case may be. Um, but, you know, curling has been very welcoming to me, you know, and even going, you know, you know, there are some people that are crabby, you know, you know, granted I can be crabby sometimes. (laughs) Um, but you know, it, it, the social aspect, especially with broom stacking after the games makes, you know, makes everything a little bit better. You know, so it's it, it's great. You know, I've tried to, I've gotten, a, I'm trying to get a couple of my friends back in Denver into uh, into curling. You know, they come out and visit and watch me play all the time, and they're all still a little nervous about getting onto the ice and whatnot. But you know, when I go back out there, I'm gonna try and see if I can get a if I can secure a little bit of ice time at DCC, and I can get them out onto the ice and whatnot. So. Yeah, I mean- it's really outreach. Yeah, I think, yeah. And to that point, I think curling is a welcoming sport, but I think that curling, the curlers don't like to get out of their comfort zone. They kind of make people come and, and try curling on their terms. Um, is that what you, I mean, do you think curling needs to get better at doing outreach in places where the majority of people don't look like them? Uh, and it could be as simple as yeah. taking the floor curling into those communities and not necessarily just wait, sitting back and waiting for people to come to f- discover that the curling club exists and then come to the curling club to try it. Yeah. I mean, you know, cause you know, it, it, in, in a sense, you know, that's how I found the curling club. I drove past it, you know, three times a week, every day for I mean, mm-hmm. three times a week for work. And I was like, I just like, I, I, I knew I wanted to do it. And I was like, well, I got to find a way to get in there. Because, you know, there'd be sometimes I'd pass by their cars in the parking lot. Sometimes I wouldn't. There'd be no cars. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, I looked it up on Facebook and I found it. So, you know, sometimes, it, you know, for me, it was personal initiative of knowing that it was mm-hmm. something that I wanted to do. Wanted to do. Um, but, you know, in terms of, like, outreach, you know, it's... it's uh, like I said, I'm a quiet person. Uh, so, you know, sometimes going out and, you know, making new friends for me is a challenge, you know. But, you know, like, I, I, I like to say that I was proud of myself in the moment when, you know, I was at uh, World Mix last year and I was able to make so many new friends, you know, from mm. all over the world that I still keep in contact with this to, you know, to this day. 
you know, you know, just every now and then just to ask, you know, hey, how are they doing? Or, you know, they post, you know, a funny story or someone has a kid and, you know, you tell them congratulations. And I'm, I don't know, but, you know, when the international team players come to my page and they say congratulations on, you know, some of the accomplishments or some of the things that I've done, you know, it means a lot to me to, you know, realize that I'm not just a curler. I'm also a person as well. And, you know, that's something that has meant a lot to me through my experiences with curling. I, I know USA Curling recently started a, a diversity and inclusion committee. Did they reach out to either you or TJ to be part of that? I have not heard anything from them. I'm not sure if they've reached out to TJ. Um, I would love to hear from them. You know, I think we're doing uh, at Peachtree, you know, Peachtree Curling Association last uh, last year, every Friday night was a learn to curl night. So you come out, you know, they give you a grippers, the slider, and teach you to slide, teach you how to sweep and whatnot. And I think, like, they did a – it was a pretty diverse group that usually came out on Friday mm. nights because it's mm. a couple of hours, you have a little bit of pizza, a couple of beers afterwards. And it would be – it was a great time. And it's always, you know, nice to see, you know – People come, you know, come out on a Friday and it would usually be with a group of people. Then you'd see, you know, a couple of those players come back, you know, a couple of Fridays afterwards. And then they'd be out there pretty consistently on Friday nights coming in and and practicing, you know, knowing that uh, they caught the bug. So they're going to they're going to try and come around to. uh, To be on, you know, to try and get picked up for a team next year. So I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, who comes back, who new, who the new curlers are that I taught last year, who's going to come into this season. Uh, what what advice would you give if you were if you were on that diversity and inclusion committee for USA Curling? Uh, you have to go into neighborhoods. And, you know, just make yourself available to, you know, within public school systems of, you know, hey, come on out for a field trip, you know, bring your science department out for a field trip and, you know, teach some of the science of curling, of how it all works. And then, you know, Mm. also, you know, incorporate the learn to curl. So, you know, you can trigger you know some of the logic based things because you know, a lot of teams it's it's just structure and whatnot that's needed and you know within some of the school systems and whatnot so i you know i think it's very doable but it's, you have to be very um thoughtful in the way that you do it want to switch to uh world curling federation politics so are, have you followed the wcf proposal about restructuring the world championships have you seen this proposal or yeah so so what do you think of this so they're, they're talking about combining the pacc and the america's challenge then creating a b pool event for that so that would actually affect you guys your team in a couple of ways right it'd be um you might be end up in the same division as canada but you you might also end up basically being in a b pool and having to fight for promotion from the b pool up to the a pool 
I don't want it. You don't want it. <laughs> so do you prefer the PACC then? Or yes. So why is that? Um, even in long term, you know, yeah, it's difficult. You know, having to travel to you know the places that the pack uh, primarily plays out of, but I feel like in the long term, um, I don't think it will be beneficial. Because it'll, it, 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 yes, right now, yeah, it may be good, um, but in the long term, I don't think it'll pan out because with the advent of the Nigerian Curling Federation, other African nations have, you know, expressed interest in wanting to start their own fe- uh, federations. I believe Senegal, Gambia, South Africa, and Kenya have wow. uh, expect, is, is, you know, express some interest i don't know if they filed paperwork or not yet but um you know if those countries come along i do see the i do see growing across africa to a lot more nations so you know it would be nice in the event uh in that event to have the own, our own African group, hmm. which would be awesome. Oh, wow. You know, so, you know, on, on, thinking on a, a large scale, you know, that's what I would like to see happen. Um, so I would like for the Americas to stay the Americas and they stay over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh- if it if it did happen and that vote honestly that vote could come between the time when we record this we're recording this on uh august 30th and it's probably going to get posted on uh on monday september uh september 7th um or tuesday september 8th since the 7th uh labor day but that's beside the point um so the vote could happen between the time that we're recording this and and when it gets posted but or it could get uh, po- the vote could get postponed to next year. Um, it, if you knew you were going to be in a B pool, whether it's because they combined the two events, or like you said, enough African nations joined that all of a sudden you've got sixteen teams at the PACCs, and they want to create A pool, B pool, eight aside. You know, would would that affect your team and make you guys more or less likely to to spend the money to travel to a chin to championship like that? No, I think whatever, whatever, uh, we're, we're on a, a, a mindset of whatever it takes. Um, you know, one way or another, you know, travel or logistics or, you know, to get to a championship, we're, we're, we're whatever it takes. Um, you know, if they say, all right, you're we're going to put Nigeria in the America's challenge, you know, uh, <laughs> right but you know whatever it takes you know they move us up into the european bracket you know what's the probably never happen but whatever it takes you know as you know going you know going to japan this year you know getting getting the uh getting the women's team there from nigeria and whatnot whatever it takes we we're gonna try and do whatever it takes i don't think um, you know, whatever happens with 
the virus or anything else like that, we're we're of the mindset of whatever it takes to get to where we need to go, you know, to get experience, to get points, to get, you know, to get wins, to get better and everything. We're we're in a place of whatever it takes. That's my mindset, whatever it takes. So do we do we know the status of the PACC yet? Have you heard anything about whether it's a go or not, or uh, and so if it's going to be played? Are you guys going to? Is your team going to be able to go? As since there's, there's travel issues between the U.S. and Japan right now. Uh, as of right now, I've, from what I've heard, um, the pack is still a go. Um, but you know. Being that I'm in, I'm in the U.S. right now, and uh, our response to the virus has been what it is. Um, you know, it's it's it still creates issues. So you know, the the federation and Daniel and everyone else, and uh, you know, within the federation is looking at options of of how we can all make this happen one way or the other. But you know we feel like we should be able to get everything handled to get to Japan and, uh, and compete in the pack. So I kind of want to finish up on a lighter note, uh, at last year's pack, uh, one of the more, one of the, the viral moments that came out of last year's pack was you guys playing against Australia, in the last game, uh, and, and at one point, a, a a final shot goes awry, and uh, TJ lets out a good golly wampers uh, after that shot. And it was kind of interesting because you have you saying, I, th- I think uh, Fabian said, uh, I Chihuahua or something like that. You said, well, that sucked. And then <laughs> and then we get the good golly wampers out of TJ. Were, were you surprised at how popular that became? And is, is that something that he says a lot? So this is one of the differences between me and TJ. <laughs> you can put a mic on TJ and you can sit down your, uh, your four-year-old child and you have to think about a thing. If you put a mic on me, you have to be at least 17. <laughs> um, God, oh man, that was one of the games that I think about. Because uh, there were there were some moments in that game where I, looking back, I I was kind of ashamed because I I went on a tirade, and I think the whole stadium got quiet and just no. I'm sure he he's not allowed to say all that, but uh, TJ, you know, just. You know, it it was a shot that, you know, we had shot and I was just trying to put the snow basically out of play. And, you know, there was some overzealous sweeping that kept it a little bit straight. And it, you know, the shot became what it was. And, you know, TJ, TJ has all kinds of euphemisms to, to, to cover up for, to, to have appropriate language <laughs> and uh you know i i think it has been adopted as acceptable 
as an acceptable exclamation, (laughs) (laughs) like written in the rules that that's something that people can say. And I've seen videos of other people saying it. Uh Uh-huh. Their teams saying it. it's like, oh man, all I can think of is like, why did it have to be my shot that happened? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, TJ, TJ's a great guy. He is definitely a role model for anybody's kids and whatnot on on you know how to handle yourself. You know, granted, I, I can be uh, kind of fiery. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it, and it cut, and it, and it happened. You know, I think that was our last game of the tournament, so there was some pent up frustrations that you know boiled over that game. But you know, I I I can't speak, you know, enough on how great of a T, how great of a guy TJ is, and you know, but. You know the good golly wampers. Uh, 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 that's something that I know I'm just gonna have to live with in the curling community forever. So, <laughs> are we gonna see that on a shirt? <laughs> uh, I don't see why not. It's probably a good idea. Uh, you know, we have the uh, equipment downstairs right now in the house to uh, to make t-shirts. So I should make a few. Uh, and pass them out when I'm at tournaments. You know, I, I give them to TJ to pass out. You know, <laughs> have them uh, sign them. Oh yeah, uh, you know, I was thinking about get making some shirts for myself and you know passing those out to the other skips and whatnot. So I might you know see if TJ's interested in doing that for uh, for him and whatnot. So one of your like one of the things you've you've we we swapped kit at uh, the mix and you gave me a Broomzilla shirt and I gave you my England shirt so I think I won that swap but oh, yeah. uh, can you, can you tell us a little bit about the Broomzilla logo how your federation came up with that and then also because Ryan really wants one I refuse to give him mine so how can how can Ryan get one or anyone else who's listening uh, you'd have to catch us you know I have some Broomzilla shirts still with me. Uh, I give them away freely for trades and whatnot. Um, but uh, we're still working on the logistics to get all the uh, to get shirts and stuff made. And, you know, I, I, I've been pushing for it. So, you know, that, that's that's another revenue stream to help us, you know, get the facility built in, uh, in, in Nigeria, in the Calabar. So, we, you know, because I know there's a high demand for it. I don't know if it's sure it's high as the Guyana the the Guyana jersey, but you know I think it's pretty up there with sought after jerseys and whatnot. So you know hopefully we can get those uh, get those printed and whatnot, so we can start getting those uh, getting those out to everybody. But as soon as as soon as we can, um, you know I'll, I'll I'll have it on my social media and. Uh, so we can get those sold and get those out to everybody. Yeah, like, like I said, I'm a huge Godzilla fan. I will give you actual American dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We, I, I have some over there somewhere. So, you know, just need to know your size and we'll make something happen. Harold, thank you so much for doing this. This has been awesome. Uh, can you just let everybody know where they can follow you, where they can follow the Nigerian Curling Federation, and uh, and how they can contribute to to get ice built in Nigeria? Uh, my Instagram uh, tag name. I'm still getting used to Instagram. 
My Instagram is Azari underscore the underscore wise. Uh, A-Z-Z-A-R-I underscore the underscore wise. Um, Nigeria Curling Federation on Instagram is Nigeria Curling and Nigeria Curling Federation. Uh, both of those tags are ours. Um, Facebook, Harold Woods. Uh, and there's a GoFundMe. I can't exactly remember the name right now. But I believe if you go on to GoFundMe and look up Nigeria Curling, it should come up for you know the ice facility in Nigeria. Yep. And we'll we'll can we'll we'll uh, we'll put those links in the show notes. Absolutely. So I mean, just yeah, there's this part to cut out, but like um, I could send you guys a voice clip of what the actual GoFundMe is, so you can have that on, have the correct link for that. Okay. Yeah, I think they. I think they also have the link on their Instagram page. I'll let you know if I can't find it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, Harold, and good luck at the pack. Hopefully that runs, and hopefully we'll see each other at uh, the 2021 mixed. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Um, you know, I look forward to. Hopefully, you guys bring me back for another show. You know, this was this was my first podcast, uh, and this was a ton of fun. I really enjoyed it. So hopefully oh. I can be a recurring guest. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for coming so, on. Yeah. yeah. All right, Jonathan, you got to meet Harold uh, when you were at World Mix last year. He's He just sounds like just a wonderful dude. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. Uh, and it, he's like, very enthusiastic for the sport. Uh, I think Team Nigeria, the whole team is, they're just, at the mix, they were just, you know, were one of the, the, the stories, I'd say, of the event. Um, and they want to get better. I mean, I think it's it's tough. One of, one of the things that's tough about um, these of uh, these events that aren't kind of uh, divided into A, B, C divisions is that you do get thrown in the deep end, right? So for a, a team with only a couple of years' experience having to go against, say, Team Canada in their pool, that's a pretty tough tough road to hoe. But but they you know they enjoyed it, and Team Canada was kind of you know classy about that. I think the uh, Carol definitely has the ambition to get better and uh they were you know the, i think they definitely will we'll see kind of improved results over time from nigeria i'd say that they're you know they i i think that one thing that came across in that interview was was how much of a sense of purpose he has both kind of for his own individual goals but also realizing that as he said being the first in something is significant right so being the first african nation to, mm-hmm. to not just represent Nigeria, but it sounds like there's plans also for other Nigerian and other African countries to enter the WCF and start fielding teams, which would be fantastic. The plans for growing a rink, which I think are amazing. Uh, I think it's a really fantastic story. Yeah. And if they do get that rink built, uh, like he said, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the cliche. If you build it, they will come type thing. Like all of a sudden you have a place where other, other countries, around Nigeria can come and play and develop their skills as well. It really wouldn't be just for Nigeria, it sounds like. I mean, it would certainly be a regional center. I think we see that in other areas too, like with with the growth of curling and, for instance, Korea. I know that Mm -hmm. a lot of the members of the Kazakhstan curling team, for instance, actually go to Korea and train there. Like this, This also happens in Europe too, that emerging countries, if they don't have a rink, but there's a rink, say, the next country over, if if it's a short enough kind of moment of travel, often other associations will take advantage of that until they're able to get their own facility. 
you saw that in the Baltic states. Um, when yeah, well, Estonia just built theirs, but the the, the first one was that that rink in um, in Latvia at, in Latvia where you went and played in the Baltic Super League. But that that got built, and it seemed like that that kind of got Estonia more into it, and then Estonia got their own rink built uh, there in Tallinn, um, which I think is a is actually a private enterprise. <laughs> Uh, so is the rink in Latvia. So I remember asking our host, uh, Martins, and he was like, yeah, we basically there were 37 curlers, as he said. Like, he had the exact number. And he said, we all just pitched in money and created shares in a company and you know, basically funded a two-sheet rink that way. And it's, uh, it's great. It's like uh, my, my favorite part is the self-serve bar anyway nice got, they actually have a good bar it's all self-serve you walk up you take whatever you want right down and just leave your money it's a great great kind of system yeah we've seen we've seen curling grow in the baltic states and in fact uh with the the way they kind of redid the fields for the 2021 worlds with estonia getting in over italy on the women's side it'll be the first appearance appearance for estonia uh at a regular a level uh world championship on either the men's or women's side so uh welcome estonia to to the big leagues right yeah i think i I suspect marie Turman if she's skipping and i assume she will be she'll probably be the breakout star kind of celebrity of this tournament and that's that's kind of the the goal that that Harold's working towards as well. And we saw Estonia kind of rise pretty quickly because they had access to the ice. And, uh, you know, they went from being kind of a lower level team in Europe to cracking through to the A pool at, at Euros. And now they've, they've broken through that next barrier uh, and gotten into a world event. Yeah. And I think that's the case just about anywhere, right? That, that being able to, the hardest jump is actually the jump to dedicated curling ice. Uh, and we've, we talked about it a little bit here with kind of even in established curling countries like Scotland and the U.S., but especially for emerging nations, um, being able to fund that facility. And it's kind of really capital intensive to put in. But once it's in, that thing creates opportunities. It's a training venue. Uh, you can hold competitions. You don't have to travel so much. You can bring the competitions to you. You can develop a coaching base. There's a lot of things that facilities kind of makes possible, if you will. It just simply isn't possible if you have to either go to another country to, to train and practice or practice on arena ice. Uh, we saw that with Turkey as well, right? Yep. So they put in a facility, and I'm going to mispronounce it. My Turkish friends will mock me, but Ezrums, I think, is kind of in my anglicized way how I pronounce it, but that's not, <laughs> not right. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so they, they put they had a, an ice arena there. They hosted... Um, the, the European Mixed Championship probably about eight or nine years ago now. And then growing out of that, they put in a facility around that time. And that over, so over seven, eight years with a dedicated facility, they're able to develop an athlete base that's able to, to get teams kind of performing close to internet to, to world A level. Speaking of the mixed, and that's another event that Harold was, was hoping to participate in, but it, it, sounds like it's not going to happen this year that seems to be you know that was one of the the more the more recently created events at the world level it is currently an open event you just enter if you're a if you're a member in good standing with the world curling federation you can enter that event directly there's no you know there's no world mixed b how 
in that also seems to be the event that's like the first one on the chopping block when they're looking at cutting costs. But how important is that event for the development of countries like Nigeria? I mean, Harold talked in great detail about how being able to play in that event really changed his mindset and really changed kind of his, you know, his, his approach to getting prepared for other events as well. How important is World Mixed? I think it's I think it's great. Um, I mean, I mean, depends. I guess it depends on important to whom. <laughs> um, WCF has actually designated the mixed and the seniors. I can't remember the term, but it's like uh, not it's not quite social, but there's there's clearly a second tier. And the way they're differentiating it is those are events that don't lead to Olympic championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's certainly been a bit of chatter about because of that, that classification, I think doesn't really affect much like in terms of the staging of the events, but um, there, there has been a bit of chatter that's, I, I'm not sure who or what I've certainly heard. Like some people have said, well, perhaps WCF shouldn't run this and it should be spun off to a separate organization. There's, there's another group that's got a pretty strong pushback. I think a lot of that comes from, the non-traditional curling powers, if you will, but they see this event as very important. I think it actually is really important in terms of if people from developing curling countries can get a chance to represent their country in international event, that again gives them more passion for the sport. They can go back, share that passion back in their country and hopefully also kind of grow the, grow the sport as well. There's also, you know, some pretty good curlers playing in that, in that event. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, I would the members of that Team Canada team. They they were half. They were basically half of JT Ryan's team. Were kind of yep. on the men's side. Megan Walters was the third on that team. She's still in junior. She's probably the next the next big thing in in curling coming out of Manitoba. I'd say. Um, uh, we had Andy Cap and Benny Cap. So Benny Cap's Andy Cap's son. He's still a junior. Uh, he's really good. He's probably you know one of the next. I'd say big big talents emerging in in. Certainly in European junior curling is already one of the best, but I'd say kind of international, like world junior curling, he'll be, he'll be competing for a medal over the next few years. Um, I, I mean, I, I played Perret and Rios, so that was kind of yeah. fun. So you get to play some Olympic silver medalists. Um, uh, so good talent there. And also obviously some people coming from countries where curling's brand new. And I, I like that event, to be honest. Like I like the, you know, we got seven great games in. You know, three were pretty challenging and kind of playing against the effectively professional teams. Uh, three, I would say, were kind of at our standard. And then I'd say there was one where where uh, they were clearly an emerging team. But aside from that, I'd say it was kind of a good a good mix of levels and abilities. And uh, in the case of the team from Canada, you had a group of very young curlers getting to have, you know, very valuable experience at a world level uh while still being very young and competing for for junior championships yeah absolutely and i think they're getting experience i know the scottish curling program often nudges their players just out of juniors to enter this event so maybe the eve Mearheads don't don't sign up for this but the the kind of the next tier down the podium tier teams if you will uh play in this event they see that as competition development for some of their emerging teams so it has multiple uses. So even for kind of the elite teams in the world, there's good value in sending like younger, good competitive teams, giving them an event to play in to get international experience and to get competitive experience. That certainly is a very different 
hype of event to play in than say a, a weekend von Spiel on the tour. Hey, I'd love to see mixed as a, as an Olympic event. Let's get another uh, get another curling medal in there and uh, and and get some more funding into the sport. Eh? I see. I'm of the view that it's good to not be an Olympic event. I think okay. I, I'm not against curling being in the Olympics. I, there's a faction that's like kind of hardcore curling. All went downhill. I'm not quite that much of a grumpy old man yet, Ryan. But <laughs> but you're getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. No, I think. I mean. I think that there's value in having an event that doesn't go to the Olympics that keeps the kind of tradition of the game. Right? And, uh, I know with Harold, we were talking a little bit uh, about this, that as he said, you go to the, you go to the Pacific Asia championships and it's, everyone's there. There's probably not much socializing after the game. Um, you know, whereas within, within like 24 hours of us showing up in Aberdeen, we were added to this Facebook giant Facebook messenger chat, which was world mixed curling party. Right. So there's a slightly <laughs> different vibe. And, um, you know, after every single game, but one, our opponents, they sat down with us and we had, we had a drink. Um, I, I wouldn't say like no one was there was getting, uh, you know, it wasn't like a social drunk spiel kind of getting ripped, but you'd sit down, you'd have a drink, maybe two, depending on your schedule and kind of get to know the other teams. And then, when you were bounced, um, like the party kind of got bigger each night as more and more teams were eliminated, right? And then it became <laughs> this rolling, rolling party. So it kind of, I like the fact that it combines um, kind of high level competition, emerging countries, uh, you know, good quality shot making, but also good quality socialization. I think it, it kind of in many ways has the complete kind of heart of curling at the center of it, if you will. So basically a world version of the U.S. Arena Nationals. Not quite a March Bonspiel in the Iron Range, but also not quite, you know, playing for a playing for a, uh, a national championship. Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, I wouldn't say because like the, the, the knockout phases, the shot making is as good as a national championship. Like if you go watch that final, it's as good as, you know, the shot making there is as good as, as anything you'll see. Um, but... Yeah, there's also teams that perhaps aren't shooting at that level, and so there's but there's space for them too, right? There there were, there were some blowouts, but I think part of the culture of that event is blowouts are accepted by both sides, like the emerging countries. So like Kosovo, two of their players had never curled before that event, but part of particip- that per- participating in that event is one of the things a new curling nation has to do to become a fully fledged member. They have to actually play in a few a few WCF events, and so. The mix is actually a fantastic event for new curling nations to send players to play in for the first time, right? Rather than say the European Sea or one of the events that's a bit more kind of aiming at um, Olympic points, if you will. All right. So huge thank you to Harold for joining us. And we will keep tabs on Team Nigeria as they work towards getting dedicated curling ice there in that country. Uh, we'll also keep tabs on on how the sport continues to grow and what World Curling Federation decides to do with that championship. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. You can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. 
If you enjoyed listening, the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. That helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game. If you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Rocks Across the Pond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon.